Hello, welcome back to the Sonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions opinions expressed here are solely opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, we love seeing you every Thursday night. Let's see. Oh, we are on Facebook. We're on YouTube. We're everywhere you want to be. Love seeing the chats come in live. Uh, we can't respond to them all, but you guys are awesome. Let's build a nice little community out there. And then um, if you can't catch us live, you can always catch the replays on those same platforms or on your favorite podcast app. So that's awesome. Let's see. Um, as for me, you know who I am. My name is John Ruark. I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge, number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. And a couple people are running a little behind tonight, but there's one who's always dedicated, always here, and that is Brother Jason Richards. How are you, Jason? I'm good. How are you, John? Fantastic. It's like I'm even here from vacation. Come on. I love it. Robert and Joe, I tell you. Uh, Jason Richards, past master of Vacation Lodge number 16 in Clifton, Virginia, member of the Colonial Lodge number 1821 in Washington, D.C., and member of Lafayette number 79 up in Zanesville, Ohio. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll cut back to me while we do our other introductions. I think Robert will be here post-haste, but let's see. Um, definitely want to give a special shout-out to all the patrons who support the shows. If you guys um, want to see more of this Masonic education for years to come and you like the show, then uh, help support us over at patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable. And uh, we've had some really good questions. I love the question of the week that kind of ha- tends to happen in our private Facebook group of what are you reading? And that's good to see that that healthy community grow with uh, you know, screenshots of which books we're reading this week. And there's also, it's very fortuitous, too, because it's usually either I'm on a similar book or just finished a similar book. Um, so if you want to kind of hop in there and, and share in that fun, uh, consider being a patron of the show. It really helps uh, keep this show going. And um, we love we love hearing from you. All right, so this week is something, uh, it's actually a presentation that I gave, um, actually surprisingly gave it January of 2013 was the first time I did this. And why January of 2013? That was my first month, my first stated as Worshipful Master of the Patriot Lodge. So that was uh, something I had been looking forward to putting together. And again, as you, if you've watched the show before, you've noticed that Masonic education is, was a, a great a big theme, a good big passion of mine. And so I wanted to kick off my year with a bang, um, just a, something that had, I had been observing for many years, because by that point in time, I had been well into my career um, that included parts of the Department of Defense and the intelligence community. So <clears throat> what's fascinating about this is that uh, I, I can I can say that I was affiliated with this. This is all in the past, um, so it really was wasn't a big secret. I wasn't one of the the really uh, down in the weeds kind of uh, secret spy agent or anything that you'd want to call it. Um, and by the way, um, it's not like the movies. Right? Let me just put it that way. It's really not like the movies at all. However, comma um, one thing I found quickly fascinating was how do we protect government secrets and the methods, the protocol, the procedures, the policies, um, 
are important, right? Because the whole point of protecting, you know, secrets is that you don't want people to take that information and use it against uh, the U.S. government or your government of choice. And you want to make sure that the people are worthy and well qualified to to receive that information and to handle that information. Well, I started drawing parallels. I started seeing, well, maybe, maybe there's some similarities here about how one gets access to information, how one um, handles information, how one uh, disseminates information, shares information with other people, because we all, we too, as Freemasons, also have that same duty that we ha have to uphold. And so um, I started just kind of keeping track of what's what are the similarities, what are the differences along the way. And so as a result, I actually ended up putting together uh, this presentation here, <clears throat> so uh, simply called, what is this, the um, Freemasonry and the Intelligence Community, with a nice slow crawl. All right, so that is, that is the title of tonight's um, presentation slash discussion, because I um, wanted to share a little bit about the variety of intelligence agencies because if it's a community then the first question is what's a community of and the the community consists of many different agencies independent organizations right how do they all fall how do they work together so uh jason uh, i think jason's gonna do some research here and show us some groupings of the variety of organizations that consist of this this community of uh, the intelligence community jason why don't you set the stage for us if you will oh sure absolutely and uh you know while while i'm doing that uh or while i'm in the background you know furiously going through uh, agency seals <laughs> and, and whatnot um you know when when folks usually think of the intelligence community everybody usually goes to like the big two you know they're they're looking at cia or nsa you know the cia really you know those are those are the real spies and the nsa is uh you know the the nsa is uh, you know the guys who uh who snowden talked about you know, um yeah that's who we think of first um, right we think of the uh, right. the real spooky yeah. ones right mm-hmm the ones that make yeah, the movies. We have NSA, we have CIA, you know, um, we have the other ones from other foreign um, things like what, MI, MI6, MI5. Yep. We have uh, all of those. Um, and they all have different disciplines too, right? We also have... Um, they do. Different, that, different modes of intelligence. Right. Because there's not just one kind of intelligence. There's many, many flavors of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, and it, so it all depends on where you get your sources from and what your agency is affiliated with. And so there are, you know, a myriad of different intelligence sources and you can you can find this anywhere, you know, this, it's no big secret. Go on Wikipedia you have, find it. <laughs> yeah, you have human intelligence, which is information that you get from humans and from people. 
you have signals intelligence, which are broadcasts and signals and things like that. You have geospatial intelligence, which is um, really the intelligence of features on the Earth, where things are located. Um, you've got, uh, you know, even things like OSINT or open source intelligence, which is, you know, information that you collect via research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, there's just, again, lots of different disciplines and you have lots of different organizations within the government that are all concerned with getting the most information possible and getting the information that nobody else can get to then give our policymakers, our congressmen, our president, um, our decision makers in the government, the ability to make the best, most coherent decisions possible. That's really the, the entire goal of the intelligence community is to you know, give our policymakers as much and as, as best of information as they can so that they're empowered then to make decisions based on, you know, again, the best information that they have so that they can make the best decision for, for the country. Um, you know, one interesting thing about um, the community is, you know, it's, you know, there's, I, I feel like, you know, there are decision makers and policy makers at the government level that make the decisions, but by and large, the intelligence community agencies don't like the, the job of the intelligence community is to give information to the decision makers, right. not prescribe policy or make recommendations on decisions. Yeah. And so there's, there's a very fine line there. Yeah, and that's a good part of like the whole like separation of powers, right? You want you want those with the executive control to actually execute on recommendations, and then you want these agencies to be uh, you don't want them to be both judge, jury, and executioner all in one. So, uh, so you can see here where where Jason's kind of grouped these logically grouped some of these. Uh, this probably does not include all of them yet, right? Um, but what do it's we have here? Mm -hmm. Everybody can see my uh, my amazing Google Slides. Yeah, that I'm working on. So, when you, if you go to the the DNI website, uh, which is the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, which is essentially the administrative overhead of the intelligence community, um, this guy right here, the ODNI breaks out the U.S. intelligence community into kind of three sections. You've got the independent agencies, that's the ODNI, which provides a lot of the administrative overhead of the, uh, the intelligence community. And then there's the CIA. The CIA, of course, which was formed as the Office of Strategic Services or the OSS back in World War II. Um, then you have the major Department of Defense-related organizations. And this is everything from, you know, the Defense Intelligence Agency (DIA), uh, the National Geospatial, Geo, excuse me, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency or NGA, National Security Agency (NSA), uh, the NRO, the National Reconnaissance Office, and then 
ONI, the Office of Naval Intelligence as well. Um, and those are, you know, some of the bigger intelligence or, you know, agencies that you may or may not have heard of. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole slew of other agencies associated with different branches of government um, to, to the point where you've got like the drug enforcement um, agency or the, the DEA has their own, you know, intelligence agency. Mm -hmm. um, one, yeah, the, the FBI has, you know, their own intelligence component. You know, you look at any of the services, there's Marine Corps intelligence here. There's Army Intelligence, Coast Guard Intelligence. Uh, the Department of State has their own uh, intelligence department, even Homeland Security and uh, the newly formed Space Force. So all in all, there are 18 different intelligence um, members of the intelligence community, rather, across the United States government. I think, I think I've got almost all the SEALs. <laughs> Actually, I may have. I may have done it. Let's I'm too lazy to count these up right now. Let's see if I can bring it back up. I think. Uh, see if we got them all. There. Yep. There they all are, including Space Force. Yeah, Space Force showed up at the eighteen. Sweet. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, Love it. which I found fascinating, right? Because we have information that needs to be shared at at, at a higher protected level and we have multiple agencies that have those those responsibilities right like you said a portion of the fbi has to has to work with some really sensitive information and then there's other areas as well so it's it's not like it's its own agency but it has a a portion of it that is reserved to work for that and some of the other information needs to work at a lower level and we'll talk about the different levels of of work as well so thank you for going over that. That's a good overview. Um, let's now talk about the process. How do you get in to, uh, in, in to be one, uh, a worker, an employee, or a contractor to one of these uh, agencies? Well, that's where the fun begins, right? This is, um, there's, a, there's a vetting process. So you just don't walk up you know, and say, I'd like to start working today. No, you have to be sponsored. And so not unlike Freemasonry, uh, after you submit your your paperwork, <clears throat> you have to wait a time and patience, uh, time with patience, so that you can be investigated uh, for your character, for your ability to be able to handle the secrets that you'll you will eventually obtain. Right. So, um, basically, this is where the security clearance process starts. You actually have to submit information. You have to be sponsored by an agency, and you actually um, get interviewed. You have to get investigated. You get talked to. Your friends get talked to. Your family gets talked to. Guess what? We do the same thing with, as Freemasons. If you ever worked on an investigating committee, um, we do it a much kinder, gentler way, not as rigorous, but certainly there are parallels to be had there where um, we want to make sure as Masons that we do a little bit of homework about the, the people that are joining. And more especially to those who are going to be entrusted with government secrets. So I think that's that's one similarity right from the get-go, where um, you just don't walk right in, neither in Lodge nor into an intelligence agency. You actually have to um, be sponsored and start the investigation process. Well, you know, it takes 
it takes a good bit of time too. So, oh yeah, you know that's that's another parallel where <laughs> ultimately, you know, from from what I've heard, it can, you know, both on the you know Masonic side, you have to wait between degrees and you have to wait for your petition to lay over. But then there's there's a whole waiting game with the clearance process as well, where you know it just takes a long time for that background investigation to be conducted because it's what I've heard quite thorough. Right. And so after that, um, you do get read on eventually, right? So let's assume everything goes well. You got, you you got a clean nose. You can, you're you're actually suitable to hold the, um, the the clearance. And, And so that means you have to actually be entrusted with or read on with, Here's an overview of what you will be trusted with. Uh, but guess what? They don't give it to you all at once, right? So very much like the secrets of Freemasonry, they don't give it to you all at once. Uh, usually you get debriefed in, or, in, or briefed into um, a certain level of access. So basically you come in, they close the doors and they say, hey, um, you've signed all your forms. You, you've basically said you're not going to give any of this information away. And... Um, often it's done through a very short 20, 30 minute overview. And then, then you're good to go. You sign a couple more pieces of paper that says, yes, I know what I'm uh, agreeing to keep secret and that's it. So you now have access to all this stuff, but then, you know, you probably just got the little tip of the iceberg of what's, what's accessible. So very much like Freemasonry, right? Once you go through the degree, you're at that level of the degree or an entered apprentice, for example, does that mean you know everything there is to know to be an entered apprentice? Absolutely not. Um, but you've just been read on to the entered apprentice degree, right? You're just getting light. You're just getting used to the customs and forms and usages and, and all that of Freemasonry. So uh, to get a full understanding of everything that you do have access to could take a lifetime. Same thing for that level of uh, protection and secrecy that you get when you get read on to a certain level. Because... Um, there's actually different levels of information that you are allowed to have access to. Again, they just don't give it to you all up at once. So what this normally looks like in, in the U S government systems, there's uh, four levels of a, a hierarchy of four levels of protection, right? So you have, um, unclassified data, which is something that is, it doesn't need any additional protections beyond just, you know, keep it on your server, right? But then above that, you have additional levels of severity. And uh, I don't have the official definitions of these up, but but you can look these all up. Basically, you know, a confidential level of information is basically it can cause serious damage if this information gets out. Secret is, you know, grave damage. And then top secret is exceptionally grave damage if this type of information gets out. Um, so often, you know, you, you can work your way up this, uh, this path of trust, if you want to think of it that way. And I saw another parallel to Freemasonry there because we have the same levels of protection in Freemasonry. We have the profane, the unclassified, what we can talk about, what we're talking about now. It's all, this is all unclassified and Masonic information. And yet you do move up through 
levels of information that I can share with EAs, there's levels of information that I can share with fellow crafts, and then there's levels of information that I can share with Master Masons. Um, coincidence? Maybe, maybe not. So um, that's, that's one of the, uh, the really cool things. Uh, another parallel that I saw with uh, the levels of access and information that you're allowed to have. Um, and not just well, you know, go ahead. It's interesting too because you know there's a hi Robert. You know there's there's you know a linear progression in Freemasonry based on you know the information you have to have to be able to do your work, right. and in Freemasonry that happens at a linear level of okay first you're doing the work of an EA. Then you're proving your proficiency doing the work as a fellow craft, you know, in in the IC, you know, it's it's not necessarily, from what I've heard, a a you know stepping stone through the different classification levels, but it's you know, you are you are cleared to the level that you know So you so you can have a one day class to get the top secret. Is that that's what I'm hearing? <laughs> blue blue lightning. You know, be like it'd be like, you know, you you have one degree and that one degree is the master mason you just jump right to it yeah no that, that's a it's good like it's like the allied masonic degrees where they're just like Hello. Catch them all. <laughs> you now have access to all of these degrees right what about above top Spoiler secret? oh but wait there's more exactly well, I was hoping. Before we move off off to that, I do want to say too double secret probation. Double top secret probation. The there's also just when you are read on to different levels, you you do have to be aware of meetings that you're in of what everyone else's accesses are. Meaning, um, there may might be people in a meeting that are only are read up to secret and not top secret. Same thing is true in your Masonic lodges and education, right? We only open lodges, for example, sometimes on the Fellowcraft degree or the Entered Apprentice degree. And therefore, you, you better be careful about what secrets that you um, share because, you know, you, you're not at the right level of information. So there's another parallel there that when you have meetings with mixed people with mixed levels of access, you have to make sure and go around the room and, and basically purge the room to say... Um, we can either only talk at the the secret level in this meeting, or we'll have to ask everyone who's secret and below to exit the room so we can actually have a top secret conversation, right? You can, you have those levels of um, control in the meetings themselves, all right? But wait, what about more than top secret? <laughs> because, well, just like Master Mason, there's nothing higher than a Master Mason. And so technically, <clears throat> there's nothing higher than top secret. But what we do have is we have accesses. We have um, compartmented, access-controlled different um, subgroups within that. So you can see in this little crude diagram I drew up here, you can have um, the top secret level, but only be read into or have access to some information in code word a and so you can see it's often written as this piece of paper is is accessible at the top secret level and designated for people who have access to code word a and so we do that similarly already right so these things that uh, you cannot be a 
32nd degree Scottish Rite Mason unless you're a Master Mason first. Because nothing's higher than the third degree. Nothing's higher than Master Mason. But we have all these numbered and, and additional um, side degrees, appendant bodies. So we do the same thing here. So you could say that someone's like, no, nothing's higher than Master Mason, but they've also been read on to the 32nd degree. They've also been read on to the Knights Templar degree. Um, again, there's another parallel there because we don't have 33 levels of secrecy in the government, but nor do we have 33 levels of secrecy well, they might. in Freemasonry. Well, I'm sure the... Uh, uh, the um, I'm sure the government could like do the Memphis Miserium of compartment. <laughs> oh, sorry, you're only a 72nd degree. You're not allowed to to come into this <laughs> this meeting. Oh, geez, that's funny stuff. Um, so there, there's another parallel there, right? That we we have the levels of of information, but then even then, not everyone, not every Master Mason has access to these other degrees for a variety of reasons, right? They've just not been read onto them or they're, they're not eligible for those, those kind of things. Some of them are honorary degrees, right? So, um, that you're not allowed to have access to those things. You're not allowed to have access to, um, moving on another little interesting, uh, side thing. Let me get, bring my notes back up. We also have, an interesting Joe uh, trying to call in. What's that? We have Joe trying to call in. Joe's not trying to call in. I don't believe it. Live. Lots of lies. Oh look, there he is. All right, let me bring up Joe's picture here. I have to delay the whole show just for Joe on the road. There he is. Hey Joe. Let me get your audio working. What's going on, buddy? Nope, can't hear you now. It's better that way. Yes, let's keep it that way. No, I can hear you. We can't hear you yet, but you look great. So, we'll keep going. All right, let me get uh, let me get the slides back up here, because another thing that I wanted to um, mention is that when you get access to these additional degrees or these different levels or different compartments, um, you may see non-disclosure type of agreements that include terminology that we're familiar with that we have similar word structures about that we are going to protect these secrets and they're very similar uh in wording even to clauses that we are familiar with as freemasons so um i think that's that was another little shocking correlation to use a <laughs> Uh, Fratero-ism. Fratero, shocking correlations. Well, well, you you mentioned this, John, but I find this like all over the place. Mm -hmm. Like when I became a Mason, all of a sudden, I started seeing really like all of the similarities in the types of language that are that's used in lots of different places. Uh, in, in the government, in oaths of office, all of these things, and it just—it's just kind of bizarre. It's—it is a—is a wild correlation, and um, you have to wonder if there was some sort of crossover, right? Of the the person who was writing the these things was both. What'd you say, Jason? Yeah, that, 
the person in the office of personnel management who wrote the standard form was a mason it's gotta be. Like, <laughs> it has to be gotta right be. yep well so so then to, to pull that thread too another uh thing that you have to do once you get access to information is keep the secrets and the way you do that is every single person is responsible for the protection of that information that means everyone is responsible to keep an ear out for cowans and eavesdroppers right so you have the same thing in your conversations where um cowans are people deliberately trying to do uh to act as someone with access to that information and freemasons right that's people acting as masons to try to get access we have those too it's called counterintelligence we have people who are trying to actively spy against those who have access to this information and then eavesdroppers are just maybe even you know your mom listening in on a conversation right it's it's not deliberate but it is it's certainly a leak of information nonetheless so we have the the duty and responsibility to keep out cowans and eavesdroppers for classified information just as we do with masonic information And then uh, next topic, another shocking correlation is the token and a pass. That in the ability to hold information, you actually don't, you know, you don't carry around keys to, you know, buildings, but you do have access, access cards. You do have multi-factor access cards. You do have... um, multiple levels of security in order to get into certain rooms where you can discuss certain levels of information. And the same is true for Masonic lodges. Uh, in many jurisdictions, you know, when a lodge is being opened, that uh, the deacons will go around and ensure that people have some sort of identifying pieces of information, usually words or grips or both, to wait a minute you grant mean, them access to that y'all degree. don't y'all don't just have like the master doesn't say everybody produce your card and everybody's you know <laughs> bings in or whatever <laughs> and the person who doesn't have proper clearance who isn't a master basin has to leave the room you guys don't do that one day one day we're gonna get there it's all gonna be through the amity <laughs> app i'm sure <laughs> yeah probably yeah. <laughs> because we don't conduct any business except on the master mason's degree <sighs> Womp womp. Thank nothing you for the convention. Nothing for them to attend anyway, right? That's true. Well, you guys don't. I do. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like I can't, I'm trying to think. I think the last two meetings we we had an EA from another lodge who just likes coming to our lodge, so we open on the EA for him and conduct business and education there. Mm-hmm. You got to change it, Virginia. Got to figure it out. Got to get on it. So you can what see you, that. Uh, yeah. Go gotta, ahead. I don't know. Go ahead. I was just going to say, some listener in Virginia, submit the bylaw change. Get on it already. <laughs> on the EA level. Uh, you don't know how hard that is. So, let's go back to the slides. We've got, again, the tokens in the past that there are ways that you have to produce multiple pieces of information to make sure that uh, you, have, uh, you know the information and that you're not... Um, trying to sneak in and you have you have the ability to access that information as well so again this is this is something that i think would be a great research paper if i had more time to say that basically the freemasons 
or maybe the Knights Templar, if you want to go that go that far, are the true originators of the multi-factor authentication, right? As far as, as far as wide usage, right? Not not just inventing it, but but actually using it at scale. Have you ever heard of the theories about in some of the early Grecian schools, like marking your hand and then showing that like the correct, you know, form of some symbol on your hand and being at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Doing something, (laughs) the sign of Hiram. Um, Yeah. Like doing this or giving the high sign or something allowed you access. What's that? Are you holding a Dogecoin? I was saying holding Dogecoin, but. (laughs) No. Joe disapproves. but essentially saying that that these kinds of things, you know, gave way to signs on a hand went to uh, easily was manipulated or being able to be copied. So they went to a secret handshake instead. Uh, not something that I believe in or not. It's just a theory that I had read about a while ago. But again, that would be something that you have and something that you know in order to get access to those things, which is exactly... There's another parallelism there that goes between those. And then um, let's let's move on to the next section where even once you're in, you have all the accesses, you can talk at that level of information. Um, it's not always um, it's not always easy to be on the inside because bad things happen, right? You have things like WikiLeaks where you actually have trusted people that unfortunately um, go, go rogue. They, they actually uh, break their trust that they were given. And that's, but that's why we have a rigorous process uh, to try to prevent that. But it, no, no process is uh, 100% uh, proof. <laughs> Morgan, <So>. Morgan. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. Morgan. Because we've never had any any Masonic leaks either, right? We've we didn't even have a website a couple of years ago. Masonry detected. We've never had any exposés about Freemasonry, right? <laughs> but but the Morgan affair being the being the most you know um, the, at least the most jarring one for for Freemasonry. Uh, so yeah. Just because you've gone through the process of being trusted with information doesn't mean that you're immune from uh, the repercussions of what happens if you leak them. And, and, then, and, and information doesn't mean it's always going to be con- contained and protected. Thoughts? Well, it's most jarring, I think, for the United States because that largely ushered in the 1830s era of anti-Masonic um, popular and political sentiment, even though a lot of that arguably was politics driven um, between, uh, I think it was Andrew Jackson. Um, But I completely forgot where I was going. Oh, 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 got it back. So ultimately, you know, masonry dissected by Samuel Pritchard had a huge impact on the premier grand lodge of England and uh, in England to the point where um, the Freemasons at the grand lodge of England 
changed up parts of their ritual, allegedly, to differentiate themselves from Pritchard's masonry dissected. So, you know, it's it's kind of like burn notice in the sense yeah. where, uh, yeah, the awesome uh, TV show of Bruce Campbell, um, where like if if you know information gets out, then you can't really rely on that information anymore, and you have to kind of change what you're doing. Absolutely. No, that's that's pretty smart actually, right? Because again, if if you can't control it once it's out then then you have to adapt right you have to adapt your sources methods protections etc uh just to be able to you know to have a, a competitive edge against the adversaries so or, or or you could just make sure the people that let the secrets out disappear forever <laughs> where did that guy go morgan morgan where is he in a did, river he went to russia <laughs> yes he, he fled to russia <laughs> This whole this whole conversation brings me like back to all the books that I read about like Area 51 or like July of 1947 with the Roswell crash right too much information gets out so they eventually they go oh let's release the actual documents which were all doctored up stuff if you don't want to believe that you're a weirdo but anyway or, or, or how we uh we killed our own president right with jfk mm -hmm. like the house special committee didn't say it was like not the warren report the house special committee says rogue cia that's the official report nobody even wants to think about that yeah so don't worry about that look over here look over here the <laughs> secrets have to be kept Right. Yeah. So the the last uh, little fun we information. Forty minutes without it seriously going off the rails. I know. Hey, I'm sorry. So I commend <laughs> that. Joe's not here fully, so. Yes. Robert was late. So. Yes. This is good. This, this is, is a good. nice little show we had. So far, so good. Uh, but then you know me. I want to make sure that any good presentation has. U.S. Masonic membership statistics in it as well. So, um, so here's a chart I put together, overlaying the uh, U.S. Masonic membership numbers along with the approximate time that these intelligence agencies were formed, to see if there's any sort of patterns, correlations, um, or observations that I could find comparing these these two different pieces of data. So you can see we had a trough in you know the early 40s of U.S. membership dipping below uh, two and a half million uh, regular Grand uh, Grand Lodge mainstream Master Masons, and then we had a peak in the uh, 1957 oh. actually. Jason. Well, yeah, and it's natural that Masonic membership dipped between you know. 1934 the lead up to world war ii mm -hmm. and world war ii right so at the point where 1944 really 1946 when we're coming out of the second world war and the gis are returning home you know they're looking for some sort of fraternal camaraderie and right. uh, you know we've 
we so, played this song. So let's play. Th- let's pull that thread then. So here's my question about the correlations. Can't prove any of this, but at the the pivot, at the the turnaround point of the growth and, and more you, more aptly to say an explosion in U.S. Masonic membership, we had the formation of the OSS, which eventually became the CIA. Right there, at, right there at the uh, the apex there of the uh, or the uh, the turning point there, and then shortly thereafter, the National Security Agency NSA, and then at the peak of U.S. membership, we had both the NRO and the DIA established. This is, I I would say, like just from a cons- even, maybe it's conspiratorial, maybe it isn't, but basically it's conspiratorial. You know, from the 40s all the way through the 70s like this was our country's greatest kind of number one patriotic period number two our involvement in world affairs on the world stage was something that was always acting under the threat of something else, right? Whether that's the Cold War right. or World War or whatever. And so when I look at, at your graph, here's what I think. If you want Masonic numbers to go back up, you're going to need to create a new <laughs> secret agency or two. I'm just you saying. came to the same conclusion I said. And more importantly, <laughs> more importantly, okay, if you're, let's, let's just say that TMR is going to form its own intelligence agency. Never, never been one formed before. Okay, so you you look around and you ask yourself, who are guys that I could trust with keeping secrets? Oh, I don't know. There's been a fraternity that's been around for 250 plus years. That that's their whole job is to recruit, retain and provide information to people that their sole job is to keep the secrets of, of their fraternity. So if I were to start the TMR intelligence agency, I would look for people who I already know, who I already know are vetted. And then I'd start forming my vetting process around processes that have already existed for decades for scores of decades right for hundreds of years so that i can now form trusted intelligence agencies and grow that and scale that very quickly because the infrastructure has already been laid that these are these are people that i can always trust i can use these protocols and processes to let in other people that aren't masons but i can at least say hey we know how to do investigations we know how to do um you know reading on to certain degrees we know how to tile a secure facility right we're going to use those same processes that have been proven and tried in a different context and apply it now into a government agency an information agency construct so what comes first the chicken uh-huh. or the egg mm-hmm. so both yeah i would love i would love to like have access to all this information be the director of national intelligence for a day and go back through all the records and see if i can correlate the earliest members of these agencies as they're being formed and see if there's a corresponding Masonic membership or at least percentage or at least per capita of the, of the early ones. Um, 
because I think there's there's too many correlations, coincidences there, not just here about the peak of membership and how it relates to the formation of these intelligence communities, but everything else we just said throughout the, the rest of the show that there are protocols in place, there's trust in place, there's procedures in place, and I think that there um, are really are lots of of correlations that are that are left to be um, that are left to be kind of uncovered, right? So, at the end of the day, in conclusion, why do we vet individuals, right? For masonry, we we build it on trust. Our whole point of going through this whole process. Uh, why we're different than the Elks and why we're different than the Rotary is we want to have a, a psychologically safe, trusted environment uh, of men. And yet in the U.S. government, we actually have these secrets that um, are based on sources and methods that, if given out, will cause serious damage to to the nation, right? But similarly built on trust. Um, it's all about secrecy. Both, both of these are parallel are based on the whole the whole system is based on secrecy secrets of Freemasonry bind us into one brotherhood and the secrets of intelligence officers bind bind all of its members under the flag of patriotism like you said it's the height of patriotism and and also you do get that that cool um, the, you know the same way you kind of meet a mason randomly outside the same is also true if you meet someone that you, you believe is uh, is a member of the intelligence community as well. You're like, where do you work? Oh, I work over at that place. Oh, interesting. I know what that place is. <laughs> right? So you have that similar, ah, ha, ha. Uh, I think I knew you in a different context. But that also means you have a bond. You have, it, it's it's more than just a, a co-worker kind of bond. It's like, I know that you went through the same vetting process to get your clearance to be able to work in that location as well. And so my conclusion, I can't prove it, but there are too many correlations to say that the founders of the security clearance processes and policies had to have been Masons or had to have been, had to have been directly influenced by Freemasonry to establish what are almost identical processes of securing information. I would say corollary process completely identical we go, we go to the grand lodge of virginia and we we we, we register it in maury <laughs> no but thoughts we, what are your thoughts on you and then no one can actually log into it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just like government work <laughs> right uh so robert um, since since you came a little late, I know you heard just the the second half of the presentation, but I wanted to pick your brain. What what have what have you thought about? Because um, again, you said that you've you've read a lot of the same conspiracy type of uh, things, and I'm not trying to say like Illuminati confirmed. I'm not trying to say the Masons are overthrowing the intelligence community. Not at all. I want to make that explicitly clear on the record. But what are your thoughts? Well, could you could you say if you you? <laughs> if, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. Yeah. So I don't know. There's, there's so, there's so many like avenues you can take with this, but I think in short, it's, it's like Freemasonry's involvement in the formation of our country, 
Freemasons' involvement, not as Freemasons, let's say. Let's say as patriotic individuals right. who come together because they're smart, they know how to do those things, and they just happen to be Masons, uh, can lead to some um, coincidences. Yeah. Right? And And those coincidences can be coincidences. People say there's no coincidences, but like... There's a certain probability that personality types and socioeconomic statuses and common experiences lead at some level people to certain paths and organizations. And in that same way, you could say that there is a very uh, parallel course of 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 psychology and and like thought that bring people together uh, that are very similar, like a path side by side, which might just be the intelligence agency or patriotism or joining the military or whatever the case might be. And Freemasonry is right there. Right. And you know, like I was somebody who attempted to join the service a few different times under different branches. But in the early uh, 2000s, uh, there was an overabundance of people joining because of the war. And also, I had asthma, and they kept, I kept getting denied. And I'm like, it's only because of cats. They don't care. But the, my point being, like, I'm not somebody who served, but I wanted to. And where did I end up? You know, like, and at my investment level in, in the fraternity is as large as I felt perhaps that I wanted to get into the service or do Intel work and, and those kinds of things. So I think there is definitely a correlation, at least in the psychological level, um, that, that brings people to a similar course of action. And the other thing that you've been mentioning, you know, at least in the second half of the show where I've been here, is that there's definitely in Masonic influence in the way uh, these organizations operate. I, I joked, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? And if we want to, you know, let's not talk about real biology, but let's say, you know, it's what came first, Intel or the like the way Intel is done or the Masonic influence on Intel, right? Like masonry has been around probably, I mean, at least secrets have been along, <laughs> have been right. around much longer than masonry, but, mm -hmm. but our methods uh, have definitely influenced, I think, uh, on the world stage Intel work. Uh, I, one of my favorite movies, uh, what is it? Um, uh, Soldier, Tinker, Spy with Gary Oldman. Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. Yeah, love that movie. And like, I love like the ideas of espionage. And like one of the things that has people freaking out today is like, oh, the government won't release the information about the camera that, caught ufo footage and the reason they can't release the information on the camera is because just the information about the camera is a secret that can be used against the united states right, right. Mm -hmm. like there's so many different levels to how we keep secrets and compartmentalized how you were talking about yeah it's just fascinating y'all are lucky people who live who work in that field maybe <laughs> Um, yeah, I, th I think I would I would at least echo your point. Even if there's you can't prove that there's a direct 
causal relationship to Freemasonry and joining the service and joining, you know, the, uh, the intelligence community, there's at least at a minimum, maybe a, a character set, right? A quality of, of type of person that, um, considers duty that considers patriotism that considers secrecy as something that's sacred right or something that's worth keeping right writ large right these are all blanket statements they're all stereotypes um but i will also add to say i've also had the pleasure of running into brothers inside of you know these these uh, secure facilities and that's that's even more of a, a double bond, right? If you're if you're doubly bound to the fraternity, right, then you can say you're you're doubly bound to someone who's um, gone through the vetting process twice, right? Through, once through their security clearance and once through uh, Freemasonry. So it's pretty cool to to see, meet, break bread with, uh, just hang out with those those brothers uh, on the inside, as it were. All right. Okay. So. Um, no final question tonight. Like we're gonna, we're just gonna wrap things up for final thoughts, and really just kind of assimilate and try to put together some of some of what was presented here. These are, these thoughts are truly my own. I just started to keep track along the way and try to see um, what parallels there were, if any. And I think I've laid a pretty good case to say that there's um, there's something out there. So I want to believe, right, Robert? So let's head over to Robert for his final thoughts on tonight's episode. Well, I kind of, I kind of, you know, let, let it all out a few minutes ago, but I think that the topic, when, it, when you first proposed talking about this, I thought, wow, this is going to be one of those really technical kind of, I'm not going to have a lot of input on this. And certainly I don't because I don't have the experience. However, what I lack in the experience, I make up for an interest. And I think that this has uh, been, like I said, you know, it came in halfway through. But I think this topic uh, has a lot of merit. And I think it's a fun topic to discuss. And probably there's enough brothers out there tonight who are going to go back and start doing some research on who started organizations like the CIA or, you know, just different things of that nature where they'll start pulling the threads even more. Uh, and hopefully people come up with some cool stuff. Um, I enjoyed this. I would, uh, you should go to lodges and do this one. That would be really cool. Um, <laughs> outside the DC metro area. Cause everybody in DC metro is probably like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of the lodge <laughs> are probably already in, on the inside anyway. right? <laughs> uh, you know, I'll never forget. I went to uh, Alexandria, Washington and I pulled up and everybody was in white tuxes and had on like the friggin' you know, top gun Maverick shades. And I was like, these guys are all Intel. It's all a bunch of feds. <laughs> all feds, yeah. Uh, but it was really cool. Um, and, and I have to just, I, th- I have to think at some level a- as we both, I think, you know, alluded to that there's, there's some sort of a, an overlay in psychology that leads people to these paths. But thanks for, thanks for uh, doing this topic yeah. and uh, I enjoyed it. Sweet. All right. Thank you, Robert. Let's head over to Jason. 
So the thing that, that I think struck me most about tonight's presentation, and, and John, thanks so much for all the work that you, you put into this. Um, the thing that struck me most about it was the idea that when it comes to keeping secrets, you keep secrets for a reason. And so everybody, you know, derides Freemasonry as the secret society and, you know, nefarious secret organization. Um, and when you really get down to it, Freemasons keep the secrets they keep, which aren't very many, <laughs> um, for specific reasons. And, you know, those secrets getting out, you know, as as they did in Pritchard's Masonry Dissected, for example, like, you know, brought, you know, grave damage to the Grand Lodge of England, which in turn then changed the way the Grand Lodge conducted its meetings. Um, because, you know, they were afraid of, you know, non-Masons being able to gain admittance into the, you know, what were the proprietary business meetings of, of the lodge. And so, you know, keeping secrets in and of itself, you know, is not a bad thing when you keep those secrets for a reason and you control how you're keeping those secrets and you, you know, have a way to codify, you know, what is and is not secret and, uh, you know, what meets the criteria and what doesn't. And so, that's that's the biggest thing for me. You know, you don't you don't just keep secrets to keep a secret. It's you know, there's got to be a rationale behind it. And it's got to be a you know a rational, logical process of of deeming that information worthy of secrecy. Nice, thanks. Yeah, so that's in a nutshell. I'm sure there's uh, many things that uh, many other rabbit holes I could go down and and discover and find some more parallels to. But I think overall it was a fun research paper um and it's definitely something that i think would be would be fun to track masonic membership if we could get get a hold of those of some of the uh the early founders of you know, of some of these organizations right some of that have, have gone and passed on but uh, the wikipedia pages uh, still exist today so <clears throat> maybe there's some hope in there um but i would agree that there, there's a certain type of person uh, to want to keep track of secrets right that's really what it, what it comes down down to in freemasonry intelligence community as jason said why, why do we keep secrets in the first place um there's there's certainly a, a type of of person that you want to be able to keep secrets right there there's this exemplar we know that we're all humans we're all going to mess up that that there's going to be bad actors there's going to be bad actors in freemasonry you, you can't win them all there are people that are going to have to be expelled there's people that are going to have to um you know get get basically pushed out of of being a mason because they have their conduct is unbecoming of a mason uh but tracking the membership statistics is really fascinating because across the board we're doing a really good job of keeping out bad actors right there are only they're in the single digits of expulsions at grand lodge levels pretty much across the, the country and so that means that at least the people who are um are bad actors it's it's limited because of all the prep work that it takes to get in there it's it's a again if you've gone through the 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 different protocols and steps to get into freemasonry you know it's a long process and, and there's a reason for that 
And the same thing is true for the intelligence community. <laughs> um, you know, when you look at uh, WikiLeaks, you look at the things like Edward Snowden and all that, you know, the uh, although there probably aren't any more bad actors than there, are, than there have been, the damage can be a lot worse. And so in the information age, the same is true for Freemasonry. We have to make sure that when we do things like the Masonic Roundtable podcast, when we do uh, virtual meetings, that we're still protecting secrets to the greatest extent to preserve the integrity of our fraternity today. And so let's, let's keep that going. While we want to evolve with the times, we certainly want to preserve the, the integrity and secrecy of what makes our fraternity great. And with that, I want to thank you all very much for watching and keep searching for more light. Have a good night. Wow. <laughs>